Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless this time and open our eyes to see what you would have us to see in this wonderful psalm that we're looking at today that, that shows your blessing and your work. And we just thank you in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Psalm 89, the last book of the, the third, the last psalm of the third book of Psalms. And if you remember, a long time ago we talked that Psalms is broken up into five distinct books. And we're starting next, well, probably next week. I don't think we're going to get this done today. In a week or two or three, we will be starting book four. All right, Psalm 89. Mishael of Ethan the Ezraite, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall build up forever. Your faithfulness shall be established in the very heavens. I made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Your seed will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. And the heavens shall praise your wonders, O Lord, the faithfulness also of the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is strong, a strong Lord like unto you, or to your faithfulness round about you? You rule the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your strong arm. The heavens are yours and the earth also is yours. As for the world and the fullness thereof, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of, of your throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. Blessed is the people that know, their joy, know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name shall they rejoice all the day, and in your righteousness shall they be exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and, you, and in your favor our horn shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. Then you spoke in vision to your Holy One and said, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my right hand shall be established. My, my arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exalt, exact upon him, nor the son of the wicked afflict him. afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, You are my Father, my God, and rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to to endure forever in his throne as the days of the heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgment, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod of iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take away from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. 
My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out, out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. But you cast off and abhor. You have been wroth with your anointed. You have made void the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have sought, brought his strongholds to ruin. All that passed the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have set up the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies to rejoice. You have also turned the edge of his sword and have made him to stand in battle. Uh, made it, has not made him to stand in battle. You have made his glory to cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth have you shortened. You have covered him with shame, Selah. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore have you made all men in vain? What man is he that lives and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave, Selah? Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses which you swore unto David my, in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servant. How, I, how do I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty pe people? Wherewith thine enemies have reproached? O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed? Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. I like this psalm. It's a really wonderful psalm. It starts out, it's a Mishah or a song of Ethan the Ezraite. And everybody, of course, knows who Ethan the Ezraite is, right? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we want to go to find out who Ethan the Ezraite is. We look at 1 Kings 4.31. This is probably the most important. Most of the other ones are his genealogy, so we're not going to go into all of his genealogy references. But... Here we look at, we're going to start in verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is in the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all men, of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Hermon and Chakol and Darta the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the nations round about. So this is what we know about Ethan, is that he was considered, obviously, a very wise person before Solomon, okay? Because he's listed in that list that he's wiser than. So this is what we know about Ethan the Ezraite, is that he is an extremely wise individual. And Solomon outshone him. <laughs> But here he is in, in the process of writing a psalm that we're going to look at. So we start out with, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generation. This is a standard phrase for David. David uses this statement a lot in the psalms, and Ethan is using it as well. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord you know, isn't this amazing? God's mercy. This is what separates God from all other deities that are considered out there, is that he has mercy. And we've defined mercy before. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. 
Okay? And here we're seeing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. The Lord does not give his servants what we deserve. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, even in the Old Testament, it was because of his future sacrifice that they did not get what they deserve. And this is something we really need to grab hold of is the mercy of God. How often do we tell people about God's mercy? You know, this is something that we oftentimes lack doing with people. Oftentimes we tell them about how God hates their sin and how he's going to judge their sin. And we get all angry and vicious with people. And this is what the Christian church has looked at, you know, when they go out and they picket abortion clinics and, and make all these hateful speeches about homosexuality. And I'm not saying that those are good, okay? Abortion is a terrible thing to murder these children. But picketing outside and, and drawing angry calls from people is not going to be what changes people's heart toward God. Going out and attacking homosexuality is not what's going to change their heart. They need to get to know God. And this is why I share with people, I've, I've, I've shared with you, I, I had a time when I did a question and answer, and the first question was, how do I convince my, I can't remember what related, without, but my relation that, or friend that homosexuality is a sin? And I'm going, who cares? Get them the gospel. Right. Give them the gospel, get them saved. Mm -hmm. Then God can come in and teach them what sin is. Because if they don't believe something's a sin, they're not going to address it. But there's plenty of other sins. If they're not saved, then there's plenty of other sins we can convince them they've committed. I'm sure they've told lies. I'm sure that they've had you know, lustful thoughts. There's all kinds of places where we, you know, they probably have used God's name in vain, especially if they're not saved. There's all kinds of places that we can convince them that they are sinners without having to deal with the other sins that are in, out there that they're not agreeing with. I will sing the mercies of God. I will make known, I will declare his faithfulness. God's faithfulness, his steadfastness, his fidelity. When he says he's going to do something, it is going to happen. When he says he's in control, he's in control. And we've been talking a lot about this over time. When God is in control, even when everything seems to be going wrong, God still is in control, and he's using it to teach us something. Who knows what it is? He knows, and it'll be for good. Not necessarily for my good, but it'll be for good, but he is still in control. And this is song is starting. I will sing of the mercies, and I will declare his faithfulness to all generations. This is something that we've been talking about a lot. We need to declare God to our children to our grandchildren, our nieces, nephews, whoever in our family that needs to hear God needs to hear about God because they're not going to hear it from the school. They're not going to hear it from the TV. They're not going to hear it from the radio unless they've got parents who are already listening to Christian radio and, and shows. But we need to pass on to the next generation who God is. Because if you look in the, if you, you think about the book of, of Judges, the people would go do what was right in their own eyes, they would, which meant that they were not giving God to the next generation. The next generation would be worse than the previous generation, and then God would judge them. 
Then they would finally, there were enough people realizing they need God and they'd repent and come back. God would raise a judge. That judge would rule for the lifetime teaching people about God. And then within another two generations, they were doing what was right in their own eyes again and falling flat on their face. And we see that all through Kings, Chronicles, and every once in a while a good king would rise up that knew God, but for the most part, people did what they thought was right. And that always leads to God's judgment. And we, as a church, need to be training our, our family to start with about God. Getting them to totally turn their life over to God. And then we spread out from our family. Once our family's evangelized, we spread outward to the rest of the community and bring them to God and bring a revival through that process. Well, God wants our, our entire heart. He wants to have a relationship with us. When we are in relationship with him, with him, then he will take and crucify our flesh and give us the victory that we're supposed to have because we are in him. This is, we're going to get to this, but in this psalm, twice he talks about the assembly of the saints. We are God's saints. As soon as we accept Jesus Christ, we are saints. We are his children. We are his people. And if we are his saints, we live in victory as long as we let him give us that victory. Now, we struggle, we fight, we make it difficult, but we are to live in that victory if we surrender. He will crucify our flesh. He, we live through him. He has made us a new creation that we're supposed to live with him. Romans 12, 2, that we are metamorphed. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are a new creation, brand new, something that's never been seen. We are saints. We are to live that way. Now, unfortunately, we still sin, but we are still saints. We are God, when we accept Jesus Christ, has declared that we're perfect because we are in Christ. He looks at us and sees his perfect children. Now, we know we're not perfect. We know we're, we live bad, but we still are to let God change us. And that change, and this is, I've said it over and over, the, the best part of this is, it's not me who changes myself. It is God who changes me because he's going to crucify my flesh. And it's not me struggling and striving and trying hard to live a good life. And this is what I tell people, and I've done this for many, many years. Well, I'm trying to be good. Quit trying. Trying. Let God crucify you and let him live through you. Because that is how we live the Christian walk. It's him. We can't do it. There's no way we can do it. If we try to live it in our own strength, we're going to be living in bondage. And it takes God to come in and break that bondage, break the chains, and bring us into victory. And we've seen this over and over again in our lives. And if you look back over your life and you've been following Christ and you really know him, look back over your life and see those places where you've gotten victory. The places where you get victory are not the places that you are striving and battling and struggling. It's when God comes in and says, let's just get this, we're going to crucify it and you're going to live in me. Is the glory that we have within him is that he does what we need done. Verse 2, for I have said, mercy shall build up forever. Your faithfulness shall establish in, ev in the very heavens. God's mercy is what builds. 
up people. By not giving us what we deserve, he gives us grace. He doesn't give us what we deserve, and then he gives us everything we don't deserve, and we grow. It's all God, and this is what he's saying. Mercy shall build up forever. Your faithfulness, your reliability, you have established in the very heavens. We can count on God. Even when we don't count on him, he's still going to be faithful. Even when we don't think that he's loving us, he's loving us. Even when we think that he's lost control, he's still in control. And I love the book of Job because Job could have looked and said, God, you're totally lost control. Everything is gone. And God, we we have the advantage of knowing the first two chapters that God is letting this all happen. Don't forget when things look bad in your life and hard in your life and you think God's lost control, you have a Job 1 and 2 chapters in front of you that you need to consider. God is letting this happen. As I've said before, the first step is to look and say, God, am I been in rebellion and, and sin and you're, and you're disciplining me? And if that's true, repent and come back to God. But if it's not the case, say, okay, God, give me the patience. Show me, what you, show me how to get through this because God is still in control. That is a Romans 8.28 moment where you say, all things work together for good. And again, we bring this out. It's not my good. It is for good. It is for God's good. You know, there are many things that happen to us that are not for our good. They're for people looking at us and seeing how faithful we are to God in the midst of something that is terrible. And we want to be careful about this. Some things we may not think are so good. You know, the death of a family member, we're looking at that as not good. You realize, though, from a biblical perspective, if they know God, that's the best thing that could happen. They've gone home. They're done with all of this. Now, we, we sometimes have trouble with that idea, but they got, they've gone home. Their struggles are over. It is a blessing for them, and we need to rejoice in that blessing. Will we miss them? Probably. Will we be sad that they're gone? You know, most likely. But we should also rejoice. Their struggles on this world are done. I grew up in a church spending most of my lifetime where they, they called their memorial services homegoing celebrations. And I love that thought. If it's a Christian, they've gone home. Mm-hmm. If they're not a Christian, they've gone home too, but not quite the home they want to go to. So they are always homegoings. It's, a Christian is a good homegoing, and the other one is not. All right, verse uh, 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Your seed will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So here is a statement of the promise that he has given to Israel to start with. That's his, originally his chosen, because that was given to Abraham. Abraham was told, your seed are going to be as, as many as the stars and as much as the sand, and that those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse. And then David is given another covenant. Your seed will rule forever on the throne. This is a quite a precious promise. Isn't that a promise of Christ? It is definitely a promise of Christ at the end because that is who is the final one who can claim the throne. And do you realize that Jesus is the last son of David that can claim the throne? Because in 70 AD, all the genealogical records were destroyed. So there is nobody else, even though they are, could be a son of David, that can claim the throne because they cannot prove their birth lineage at all. 
Jesus was the last one and he was resurrected and still lives so therefore there is no other king after him anyway he's the last one that can prove it and he's still alive so he's going to sit on the throne forever this is God's way of bringing things to fruition and he destroyed their, and God destroyed the genealogical record so nobody could even challenge Jesus' claim to the throne. This is our God and, and how he works things out <laughs> for the people. And we in our Bible have the last genealogy of the, of the king that had the records to be able to go check it out. And that's the, in Matthew and Luke, giving us the genealogy of Jesus which would have been verified in their day by the scribes and Pharisees to say, was this a true genealogy? And it exists. So this is the power that God has. I've chosen David. He's going to rule forever. And Jesus will be the one that rules forever. And we did Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the, of the image of, of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and the, and the hand cut the rock out and the rock destroyed the the image and then became the mountain and he said this is the kingdom of heaven that lasts forever and Jesus is the ruler of that kingdom he will be the one that tears apart the last vestiges of that image and we still have the the broken toes of clay and, and iron today of the Roman Empire because Rome was never ever replaced mm -hmm. as an empire now we've had ones that tried to make kingdoms and everything, but none of them have ever ruled the world since Rome, or at least the known world. <laughs> so we've, this is what's happening out there. The, God has established himself. He has made a covenant, David. He said, your seed will I establish. And this is God speaking. Now it's amazing when you read the scriptures how often God says the things that he is going to do and if we aren't careful, sometimes we think they're things that we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. you know, and we want to be looking at these seriously. We see a lot of places where God says, I am going to do this. And I love this, this psalm because it's got lots of those things in there. That God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Then later on he goes, by the way, you guys are going to destroy, try to destroy everything. <laughs> but this is what I'm doing. So we look at this, uh, verse 5. And the heavens shall praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also to the congregation of the saints. So here's that first reference of the congregation of the saints, his people. When we are in Christ, we are saints. And we want to keep that in memory. Now, uh, we are sinners. We do sin, but we are saints. Sinners are ones that are in rebellion to God. We are saints that sin. And I've been challenged on this by a gentleman at the prison, and I'm coming to more of a conclusion. We need to talk more about who we are and what we are, and less of what we do. Because God says we're perfect. God says we're saints. Can he look at us through the blood of Jesus? He's looking at us not only through the blood of Jesus, but we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So what he sees is Jesus. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son when he looks at us. This is why when, when we go before God as Christians, we will stand at the Bema seat and be judged for the works that we've allowed him to do and be rewarded. The world will go stand before the white throne judgment at the end of all time and be condemned 
because they'll try to be approaching God in their own righteousness, their own filthy rags. You know, we've talked about how in Isaiah 64, 6, it says filthy rags, and there it's talking about medical waste gauze and bandages. That's what God describes our righteousness as, the things that we do in the flesh. The world is going to go before God, the God of the universe, on the white throne judgment dressed in their righteousness, which is just a bunch of filthy rags. And he's going to say, depart. Get away. You, you know. Well, we remember our past life when we're up there, mm -hmm. up in heaven, kind of. Because, like, if we don't remember, then how do we know, like, our parents and stuff? Will, or will God have us remember just certain things, maybe? That is a good question because it says we will know, we will know and be known. We will have a purified mind. Will we remember everything that is out there? Probably not because there's much of our life that is, should be under the blood and is under the blood. And that probably won't be remembered because God doesn't remember it. So it would make no sense that we remember it. Will we remember our family? Yes. Will we remember those who have been sent to hell? Probably, but we'll also understand that they got what they asked for and deserved and understand it from God's perspective so that it doesn't bring tears to our eyes. You know, because it says he'll take, wipe the tears. And it is possible that he says, okay, I'm just going to also wipe their memory out. I don't know. I've heard both sides of it. And God can do whatever he wants. He can, he can make so full an understanding that we know that because of the justice of God and their rejection of the offering and everything, they got what they deserve. And that won't bring tears. But I, I think he'll actually take, it, take their memory completely from us. Uh, for those that have lost. But it is all going to be fresh. It's all going to be new. Our focus really is going to be on Jesus and the Father more than anything else. It, because that is, you know, he is going to be the center of everything. Because he really is. When you are worshiping even today and you come into the presence of God, who are you, you worshiping? Where, you're not thinking about it. It is just you and God in the midst of that worship in the midst of that prayer, it's just you and God. You're not thinking. You may be in a room full of a thousand people, but you're not thinking about them when you're really worshiping God. We do have a different view of heaven, though. When you get into Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you know, and you see the new heaven and the new earth and Jerusalem coming down onto this, onto this world and the fact that there's going to be trade and, and everything, heaven's going to be very different than anything we we've ever thought or considered when we take the whole of scriptures into account. But you know, the most important thing is wherever God is, that is gonna be heaven. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care if it's here, I don't care if it's in Mercury or the, ne the next uh, you know, galaxy yeah. over, as long as God's there, it's heaven. It's you know, it could be here on this earth, as long as God's here, we're in heaven because that's what's going to be most important. It could be in whatever dimension God is in, and that's what's going to be the most important thing about it. It's like when I now really focus and pray, there's times when I pray and I don't want to get out of the prayer because I feel so good, and I don't think about anything, so I think that's just giving him a, giving us just a little bit. Just a God. taste. Just, just a, a taste. taste. Sometimes when you're but it, but singing songs in church, every once in a while there'll be that moment when you're just focused on him and, the, and, and not what's going on around you. And that's, a, again, the taste of heaven. And sometimes it can happen when you're listening to a message where oh, yeah. you can just get so much into it that it's just you and God. These are little tastes, little tastes of what heaven is going to be like. But it says his, his, 
his wonders shall the heavens shall praise his wonders i am getting to the place where i see god and and almost everything that goes on around me anymore i see him more and more with each passing day and we watch what he's doing and we watch his hand at work we need to share those moments when we see these things and tell people you know i used to t I, I told you all i used to love being the manager of the restaurant going in and telling people what god had done the day before or the weekend before and, and my employees would look at me like okay here he goes again he's on those <laughs> on one of those crazy nuts where you know crazy spreels where god is god is the one that does everything but you know this should be us as christians we should see god and declare <laughs> declare him the world's going to think we're nuts, but that's okay because we are. We are foreigners and aliens in this world because we belong in his kingdom. If we're feeling at home in this world, we've got some problems. Because we're not supposed to feel at home here. We're supposed to be desiring heaven. We're supposed to be desiring God and going forward. Saying, well, Jesus said, and they told him, you know, when he did the triumphant entry, he says, silence these people. And he goes, if they were silent, the very rocks would cry out. Yes. You know, and so we've got to understand that, yes, God, when he says that the universe declares his glory, it is a lot in that. There's a lot of things that are out there. We understand, the more we understand science, the more we also understand what goes on. The, the very idea that the words we speak that we're going to be held accountable for, do you realize that they never truly disappear? Sound that is spoken never truly disappears. It bounces forever off the walls, gets diminished more and more, but it never disappears. Quick question. I have a yeah. pastor in Dolan that does not um, acknowledge the cross. He right. said he, it's like worshiping a graven image. And I Make sure you understand what she's saying before you start judging what he says. He's saying that the image of the cross should not be worshipped. Not that the cross is bad. He understands that the cross is where Jesus died and paid the sins. What he's saying is that you should not wear a cross. And there are many people who believe that you shouldn't. I'm not among them. and I don't wear a cross because it doesn't mean anything to me. This actually goes back to Judaism's roots where they do not make pictures. They And they do not do any of that stuff because it is something that they consider an image that is bowed down to is in, in practical purposes. Most people who wear a cross are not worshiping the cross. But if you've come from a especially Catholic background where they have the crucifix, you're not making much distinction between the cross and the crucifix. And so they will pretty much judge that, that they were basically worshiping that. What they'll end up doing is they don't, they don't like pictures. You know, somebody who goes his way probably doesn't like a picture of Jesus, any of the pictures of Jesus, uh, anything that symbolizes anything that can be worshipped in place of. And we've seen it. We've seen it happen. The Jews took the bronze serpent. And remember the bronze serpent that they put up on a pole that if you got bit by the serpent, you looked at it and you were healed. Well, in Josiah's day, they destroyed the bronze serpent because they were worshiping the bronze serpent instead of the god that the bronze serpent represented. This is why when you start looking at a bunch of the things the Jews do, did and practiced, a lot of people will say the cross is something that people are worshiping. It is an attack that you'll hear from Muslims often. 
that we worship this cross. I understand his, you know, understand where he's coming from. I think it goes too far, but that's between him and God. But that is why, just so you understand the reasons behind what he's saying. But usually if they're against the cross, they're going to be against pictures of Jesus. They're going to be against any kind of image that somebody can worship. He doesn't, he doesn't let anyone have a Christmas tree. Oh, there's verses about, about Christmas trees in the scripture, so it's... This gets you into the place where Paul says that we stand or fall before God in our beliefs. His problems with the Christmas tree are the same ones that I have, but I'm not going to tell people that have a Christmas tree that they've got, you know, you've got to get rid of it. I can't put up a Christmas tree because of the verses that talk about the tree decorated with the gold and the silver and the, and the lights, okay? Now, I realize that most people aren't worshiping the Christmas tree, but the roots of it are worship. When you, when you get into the roots, and this is the problem, and we'll get, try to get off this topic, but for all of the uh, celebrations that we have that are quote-unquote Christian, okay, Easter and Christmas, the way that they were established, unfortunately, was that their roots are in pagan celebrations. Mm -hmm much of the pagan celebrations worked their way into the practice of those holidays. As in Christmas, the trees, the Yule log, the, all of these different things that are, are part of Christmas are all part of the pagan roots. And because I understand them, I don't practice them. But if somebody else is practicing them, I'm not going to judge them. It's, it goes to the same idea that Paul said, if you've got the freedom to eat the meat offered to idols, you know, go for it. But don't do it to the hurt of your brother who has a problem with it. For me, I look at it and say, okay, I understand the roots. And I know that we're not still worshiping them. Those roots have kind of fallen away. But I still have a problem because of where they come from. Easter. Everybody always asks me, well, where did the Easter bunny and the eggs and all this, all this garbage come from? Well, because we're practicing the, the festival of Estar, the fertility goddess. Not the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And this is the problem that all this stuff has been so mixed in together that there are problems. People aren't worshiping the fertility god with the eggs and the rabbits anymore, but they're, but they're practicing things that have their roots in the pagan side of things. And one of the things that you all know very well is when it comes to Easter, I don't call it Easter, I call it Resurrection Sunday. And I also want to start tying it more into the proper day as opposed to when we practice it. Because Easter or Easter is not the day of resurrection. Resurrection was on the Jewish holiday of first fruit, which is the first Sunday after Passover. And that's when Jesus resurrected on first fruit. And we very, very rarely ever have Passover and, and the resurrection and first fruits fall into the right week even and this last year it was really bad because we missed it by almost six weeks but you know this gets you into this whole legalistic side right. of things and I'm very then yes. I'm very careful about that because I don't want us some people follow all these moons and new moons and Sabbaths mm -hmm. and he said fine but we're not bound by those this year was one that bothered me a lot just for his reasons it was like six weeks off from where it should have been it was very difficult to try to figure that one out. Usually it's only a week or two. It's still pretty bad, but, but it is all because of how the tied in all these holidays with pagan holidays, and it makes perfect sense. The government was saying we're going to do these holidays, and they didn't want another day where people weren't going to work. 
So they just took, picked days that people were already not working and said, we'll just make these holidays the same holiday. The roots of these are, are hard. And for some of us that we've studied the roots of it, it makes it difficult for us to practice the way that most people practice. But I'm not going to sit there and judge and say, well, you have a Christmas tree. Oh, shame on you. You're, you're worshiping these things that shouldn't be worshiped. No, it's, that's between each individual and God. And like I say, it goes to the same thing where Paul says, if you feel you can eat the meat offered to the idol because it's just a pile of stone or, or gold, go for it. Can't eat the best meat available in the, in the town because you think that it meant something being offered to an idol, then don't eat it. Right. But don't judge one another on it. Right. And this is where it becomes important. And, and we need, and this is why we keep sharing this, we need to learn to love one another, build one another up, and just pray for one another and let people stand and fall before God because if it's not an issue of salvation, it's really not that important. There's things I feel very strongly on and you'll find when I teach that I will teach it very strongly but I'll also say, this is what I think about this and if you wanna believe what some of the other people believe then that's between you and God and you can give it. I'll give you the reasons why I believe it. I'm not gonna defend their side too strongly because I don't want to get into it, but I'll tell you this is what they believe, and I'll tell you some of the reasons why they believe it. But I will go on to say what I believe. Yeah. And for those of you who've been around long enough, you know that I take a minority position on a lot of things. You know, Jesus did not die on a Friday. It's plain and simple. He did not die on a Friday. He died on Passover, and Passover could have been any day that week. And the only way that he could be, and, and Passover would have been called the Sabbath. The, and that's why they believed that it had to be Friday, because when they first read it, it said that he died the day before the Sabbath, which in this case was a special Sabbath on the, on the day of the week. So he died on whatever day, and the next day was Sabbath because it was Passover. And it didn't have to be Saturday. So we can, make him, we can let him die on Wednesday and be dead for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, without all the mental gymnastics of part days and all the other all the other garbage that they put in there to, to try to show that he died on Friday. So we don't need to do that because we just say he died on Wednesday, it was Sabbath. They wouldn't have touched the body on Friday because they would have been unclean for the actual Sabbath. Therefore, they had to wait till first fruit to be able to go to the, to the, temp, the tomb and, and, and prepare his body. So we don't need all these gymnastics that they try to put in. So. You know, this is very important. Know what you believe, why you believe it. Because it's important on this. And, you know, and I'm not going to argue. If somebody wants to believe that it's Friday, then that's fine. I mean, it's, it's not going to change the fact that he died and rose again. Now, the, the gymnastics you have to put in to get three days bothers me, but that's between them and God as well. But, you know, we don't need to judge one another for things that are irrelevant. Jesus is the Son of God, the one and only Son of God. You know, he's not one of many. He's not, he's not the brother of Lucifer. He's not, the, he's not one of many that the other people do. He's, he is the Son of God. He is God. Multiple places he claimed to be God. And not, not just the disciples, but multiple places where they wanted to take up the stones to, to kill him because he said, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, there's a lot of people who want to say that wasn't claiming to be God. I'm sorry, he was claiming to be God. Yeah. You know, I had an existence and I was there and I knew Abraham and I was before Abraham. And when he said, I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. And that is why they picked up the stones to, to crucify, you know, to, to kill him right then and there because he was blasphemy as far as they were concerned. He claimed to be God. So we know that he is the one and only Son of God, the God. He died for our sins and rose again three days in power and victory. Do you know beyond, much, beyond those points, there is not much that is worth arguing and fighting over. And I've shared with people, when I graduated from Bible school, I was young, smart, and I knew everything. <laughs> and I would fight over the smallest point of doctrine because I knew all the answers. Well, after 33 years of more study, found out you don't. I have found out that I don't know a whole lot. Now, does that mean I don't have strong views on a lot of points? I have very strong views on a lot of points. But I'm not, and I love to, I love to talk about them, and I love to, to debate them with people and discuss them with people. But as soon as they put a flag up there and saying, I'm going to die on this point because <laughs> it's so important, I will back off and say, no, it, it is not that important. Right. And, you know, and this goes for just about everything that's out there. You know, what does the baptism of the Spirit involve? You know, what about speaking in tongues and healing and all of that stuff? I believe they're all for today. If you don't want to believe they're for today, that's between you and God, and you have a very weak and, weak and ineffective God, but that's fine. That's up to you. you know, and I'm not going to sit there and argue with them over, over something like that. I'll pray God show them. Something like the, the Christmas celebrations and Easter celebrations, the wearing of crosses, all of that stuff is so insignificant when it comes to eternal life. You know, now to talk about this between people and discuss it, and that's great. Uh, things like, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the giants before the flood, uh, an interbreeding of man and angels. I think it's pretty significant, but it's not something that I'm going to die over because I believe that you only reproduce after your kind. Therefore, they could not be a mix of man and angels because those are two different kinds. But once you go that route, then they have a whole doctrine that follows that all the way out to the end, all the way out to, to, the, to the end times, you know, because of that first belief that they have. And I'm going, well, that's quite interesting, but you've got to believe this part before any of that makes sense. But is it something I'm going to sit there and argue? I love to discuss it with people who believe it, but it's not. But again, if they're going to set up a flag saying this is so important that it's a life or death issue, then I'm going to back off and say, no, I'm not. <laughs> we're not discussing this. Now, again, that does, and all of you know, I have very strong opinions about things, but I give people the right to have what they believe. And usually what I will say is, this is what I believe about this. And I will give you the reasons why I believe it. And I believe it very strongly, otherwise I wouldn't teach it. But I'm not going to say, well, you can't believe, you know, you, can't, you don't have the right to believe what you want to believe. Because we stand or fall before God. And given enough time, people learn the truth. And this is where I've come. I've studied. 34 years later from where I used to be, some things are more entrenched than they were when I first started, some are very loosely held, some are totally different. Because God has shown me different things in his word. And this is why it's important. We need to be open to the spirit.
Listen to the spirit. And this is what I've shared with people. You know, we can show you all kinds of ways to study the book, the scriptures. And I have a class that's 13 weeks on how to study the Bible. The very first class I tell you the most important tool for studying the Bible is prayer and the Holy Spirit. Between those two things, you'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about the Word of God. Now, it is good to use the tools, get into the Greek, get into the Hebrew, do word studies, do inductive studies, whatever. But you've got to remember the most important tool is the Holy Spirit in prayer. Many times when I was a young Christian, I would ask God, God, what does this mean? Because I've had three different churches tell me three different things on the same verse, and they all can't be right. And the Holy Spirit gave me an answer. When I went to Bible school and I learned how to get into the other tools, I found out the Holy Spirit knew what he was talking about. What an amazing thing that God knew what he was talking about. And I've shared, you know, we've shared many times, when you're witnessing to somebody, a lot of times you may start out, and I like this, you know, well, when you die, where will you go? And if they tell me heaven, or I go, and I'll usually follow the what, it, what how, why will you end up there? And usually you're here because I'm, you know, I'm a good, I'm a good person. person. You know, but then you can go, well, what is your authority for that? Get them to talk a little bit about what they believe and talk to you a little bit about it. Then, once you've listened to them a little bit, you can say, can I share with you what God says about these things? If you've listened to them honestly without fighting every word that they've said, they probably will listen to you. And the most important thing when you witness to people, share the Bible verses. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you go, well, they'll tell me they don't believe in the Bible. You know what? It doesn't matter. God says his word does not return void. His word is where the power is. His word is where it will stick in their mind, even if they don't listen to you this time. And 30 years from now, they'll be in their back of their mind, you know, man, that, that person told me about these. You know, that crazy person told me that, you know, everybody sins and they deserve death. But God commended his love to the Lord that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, it doesn't take long to give the gospel to people. And then you can ask, you know, if you really want to, if you got the time, you know, you know, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, are you a sinner? And you can ask them. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, you've earned death because you said you were a sinner, but God's got a gift. Yeah. It's not hard. It doesn't take long to give the gospel. We, we, many people will think, well, I don't have time to share the gospel. Yeah. Well, I've just given you an example. You can give the gospel out in less than five minutes. Yeah. You can give the gospel out in less than five minutes. To, you know, does that mean everybody's going to listen? Absolutely not. Most of them aren't going to listen. All mine are Christians. <laughs> <laughs> but you plant the seed. You plant the word. And people will remember. And many times, you know, all our job is to, to plant and water, plant and water. You know, and every once in a while, you get the privilege of being the one that harvests. You know, every once in a while, and it's rare. You, I've spent more time planting and watering than I have harvesting. I've had a few, you know, it's wonderful. I've had a number of harvests, but, it's, but I've had a lot more plant the seed water the, and water the seed than I have of harvesting. And we need to be careful that we don't get disappointed and discouraged because all we're doing is planting and watering because the reward is still the same for us when they finally do come to Christ. And you know what? The reward is still for us because we shared. 
It doesn't matter what they did with it. The reward is there for us because we opened our mouth and we did what we were told to do. And it's not hard to witness to people. It really isn't. We always end up with all these fears. And I can tell you, I've been in many, many training classes and the very, always the question is, you know, what if they ask me something I can't answer is what it boils down to. And they'll give you a million different crazy scenarios out there. And I've, I've heard some really wild, what if they ask me this question? I'm going, you know what, in all my life, I've never been asked that question. But I have shared this before. You know, the best thing that can happen to you when you're witnessing to somebody is for them to ask you a question you don't have an answer for. Because you get to say, that's a very good question. I need to go find that answer. Can we meet tomorrow or, the, or next week or whatever? You get two opportunities to give them the gospel for one. So don't be afraid of the question you don't know how to answer. That is the best thing that can happen to you when you're witnessing to them. Because now you've got another, because you're going to just say, you know what, I've never thought about that. I don't have an answer. I will go find the answer and can we meet whatever is convenient for that particular meeting. So don't be afraid of those questions. Most people are afraid of the idea, I'm going to be asked something I don't know the answer to. Number one, you probably aren't going to be. <laughs> but even if you are, it's a great, great, the greatest thing that can happen. So we're going to close here. We've got five, five verses. Not unusual. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and, and look at your word. We do thank you that you are faithful, that you care for us, that you have given us answers to everything that we would want to know in your word. You teach us about you. You teach us how to come to you. You teach us how to be, let you change who we are. And we just thank you for all of this. In your son's name, amen.